All right. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, I want to start the show today by reminding people that Strong Opinion Sports is more than just a YouTube channel. A lot of people don't realize Strong Opinion Sports is also a podcast. If you listen to podcasts, please do me a gigantic favor. Subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify. The, the podcast is everywhere you can listen to audio podcasts. It would be a huge help to me. Thank you so much. Uh, and remember, this is not just a YouTube channel. This is, in fact, an audio podcast if you want to hear it that way as well. Today's episode is all about XFL Week 4. That's last weekend. Uh, I admit and acknowledge and kind of even apologize. This episode is much later than I wanted it to be. Uh, I got way behind this week. I, like, I, I just want to be frank with you guys. I've, I've been feeling a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, let me tell you, running your own company, I'm, I'm 22, I have my own company. It's, I, I, I work alone. <laughs> it's a lot. It's really difficult. You know, Doing taxes has been a gigantic, enormous, overwhelming task. I'm doing the best I can. Um, and I, I, I apologize truly like this, this episode is way later than I want it to be. Uh, the week five episode will be probably hopefully Monday, if not Sunday night, I'm working on it. I'm going to be watching games immediately after I record this episode. Um, but you know, I watched every single game from the XFL week four. I finished the last game today is Saturday. It's like, it's like three in the morning. So I finished it about one o'clock this morning, <laughs> like a couple hours ago, very late Friday night into Saturday morning. I watched all four games. I have a lot to say. And because I love talking about the XFL, I'm going to talk about it. If no one listens, nobody listens to this episode. If nobody want, if it's too late, nobody wants to hear it, hey, that's fine. For posterity's sake, I really want to make this episode. And I, I still have a lot of insight and a lot of analysis to share from last week in the XFL season. I want to start with uh, just some general takeaways from week four. Number one, it's very clear to me teams are still adapting to the XFL rules and the way that things work regarding the point after touchdown rules. If you remember, the XFL is different from the NFL, from high school football, from college football, from basically every other league or level of football. The XFL is different because after a touchdown, you do not kick an extra point. You can go for a one-point conversion from the two-yard line, a two-point conversion from the five-yard line, or a three-point conversion from the 10-yard line. And coaches are really having a hard time wrapping their minds around it. It's one thing to know the rule. But there's an instinct deep inside that late in games tells you, hey, we got to get within seven points or we got to have a seven-point lead. And the reality is I hear coaches on the sideline of XFL games saying, we need a lead. We need to get ahead by seven. We need to get it within seven points. And it's like they forget. And I don't blame them. Again, if you knew something your whole life, you've been coaching football for 40 years, and then suddenly things are different, it'd be hard to adapt to. But it's been so ingrained in coaches' minds that a seven-point lead is safe. And the reality is that a seven-point lead in the XFL is no longer a safe thing because a team can go for a two-point conversion, which I would actually argue is even easier to convert than a one-point conversion, unless you have a really strong offensive line and a great running game, you can just run it in. But a five-point convert, or, sorry, a two-point conversion from the five-yard line is actually the perfect way to do it. A one-point conversion, you're really cramped on the goal line. It's tough. A three-point conversion, ten yards away. It's a long way to go. Five yards from the five-yard line. One, you know, to get two points. Analytically and honestly, from a football perspective, I'd much rather, as a quarterback, I would much rather run a play from the five-yard line 
than the two-yard line. You have a little bit more room. It's actually easier. It sounds weird that three yards gives you a little bit more space to work when you're throwing the ball. Um, and again, teams need to, they're really struggling to adapt the mindset that, hey, a seven-point lead is no longer safe given the rules of the XFL. I want to share the current standings right now in the XFL. In the Eastern Conference, the St. Louis Battlehawks are number one in the East. They are three and one. Right behind them are the D.C. Defenders. They're two and two. They've been struggling, though. They're on a two-game losing streak, and they've looked awful in the last two weeks. The New York Guardians are also two and two. The D.C. Defenders have gone downhill. Meanwhile, the New York Guardians have gone slowly uphill and are actually, you know, last week was, they looked like a, a completely different team than we've seen all year. The Tampa Bay Vipers are 1-3. and three. They're making progress. It's funny how teams are just getting better as the weeks go on. And the reason why the D.C. defenders are so bad is their quarterback, Cardell Jones, is just a gigantic... He's in his head, man. He's really struggling. We'll get into that later in the show when we talk specifically about the D.C. defenders. But it's really interesting to watch the progress of teams and how some are getting better, some are getting worse, and why that's happening. In the Western Conference, the Houston Roughnecks are 4-0. They are probably the best overall team currently in the XFL. However, I would even challenge that the St. Louis Battlehawks are a more well-rounded football team. The Dallas Renegades are 2-2. Two and two. However, their starting quarterback is going to be out for the next couple weeks. So 2-2 two and two leaves the door open for the 1-3 and three LA Wildcats to step up and maybe take the number two spot in the playoff seating. Remember, the top two teams in the East and the top two teams in the West make it into the playoffs. And rounding out the bottom of the Western Conference you have the Seattle Dragons, who are 1-3 as well. Uh, guys, I'm really enjoying it. I, I love watching XFL football. It's so much fun. I just uh, I got a lot of friends in the league. I have a lot of contacts at teams, and um, it's been a joy. Really, truly, just I, I really enjoy um, the product the XFL is putting out. So now what I want to do, we have eight teams I want to talk about. I want to talk about each one specifically. We'll make a break out of the podcast so people, if you're a fan of the DC Defenders and you don't care about all the other teams, you can just hear about your team and how they did last week. And what I'm going to do today's, with today's episode, because it's so late, right? It's, it's very early Saturday morning on the West Coast, which means, you know, I hate living in the West Coast time zone, by the way, because, you know, for me, it's three in the morning. For you guys, it's actually... <laughs> It's six in, on the East Coast. So, like, I can't wait for the day that someday I move to the East Coast time zone where I'm not late all the time to everything. But And look, honestly, this podcast, my internet's been kind of spotty this week. It's been really tough. Maybe this podcast doesn't even come out until later in the day. That would really suck, but I'm doing the best I can. Um, I want to just start ta- by talking about the D.C. Defenders. In week four, the D.C. Defenders lost 25-0 to zero to the Tampa Bay Vipers. And all of the focus needs to go on the D.C. Defenders quarterback, Cardell Jones. Two weeks in a row now, he's looked really, really bad. And it's, it's alarming. I don't really, it, it's weird to me because, you know, in week four, he was missing people who were wide open downfield. He had multiple opportunities to hit people who were wide open deep. And Cardell Jones simply missed the throw. He's double-clutching short passes, which means he doesn't trust his, his own decision-making. He'll have a five-yard hitch open, and he doesn't pull the trigger, and then he double-clutches double and throws it in the dirt, or double-clutches, and by the time he finally throws it, he's late. He's really, really having a hard time trusting himself, trusting his offense. It's, it's hard to watch. It really is. It's like very disappointing. He was 9 for 22 passing last week 
for only 72 yards, zero touchdowns, had one interception, an ugly interception. And again, everything I see points to the conclusion that Cardell Jones is really, really struggling with confidence. He's in his own head. I mean, this past week, for example, your DC was playing Tampa. And Tampa Bay's defensive coordinator, Jerry Glanville, is known. He's a legendary defensive coordinator. He's legendary for one thing. If there's one thing he's known for, it's the fact that he loves to blitz. And a blitz is when you send extra defenders after the quarterback. You bring pressure constantly. That is what Jerry Glanville does. And he does it. Oh, he does it. He's not ashamed at all. He just sends pressure after pressure. And (laughs) what's interesting is when you bring more defenders at a quarterback... The reality is that it actually leaves people open downfield because it has there are fewer defenders to play coverage, whether it becomes man coverage and you can beat your man, or literally sometimes, even when Jerry Glanville does it, he'll bring like seven rushers, which leaves four people to drop into coverage, meaning sometimes guys are completely uncovered. But Cardell Jones was not able to handle the blitz at all. Again, it's a simple math equation. The more people you bring to blitz the quarterback, the fewer guys there are in coverage. It usually allows guys to be wide open. All Cardell Jones needs to do is remain calm, stay in the pocket, and understand that being blitzed is actually a really, really good thing. Again, it means that people are open. But he seems completely unable to recognize that or make that happen. He cannot calmly dissect the defense and get the ball out in the right spot. Instead, he tries to run away, or he holds onto the ball way too long, or he double-clutches things, he doesn't trust it. Cardell Jones is a mess right now. He's playing quarterback awfully. He's playing the quarterback position really, really terribly, and it's disappointing, it's hard to watch. And you could make the argument that, hmm, why is Cardell Jones struggling so much? Is Is it coaching? And if you want to, you could make the argument, hey, Maybe the reason why Cardell Jones is having such a hard time, for example, why was he not prepared to deal with the blitz of the Tampa Bay Vipers? That's a fair argument, but I don't think that's the case here because Cardell Jones wasn't doing anything he was coached to do, let alone handling a blitz. He's not doing anything right. Again, he's, he's throwing five-yard hitches into the ground. He's double-clutching throws that are open. He's making terrible reads. He's forcing balls into coverage. He's literally throwing the ball up for grabs in the middle of the field. Nothing Cardell Jones has been coached to do is what he's doing. I think, honestly, he's panicking or he's having some kind of emotional distress. Something's going wrong with Cardell Jones where he really doesn't trust himself. And he's trying to just make things happen. It's very bizarre. It's very weird. And I really believe it's all in his head. Because you can give Cardell Jones all the tools. You can coach him up, say all the right stuff. But if at the end of the day, Cardell Jones doesn't trust the coaching he's been given, it doesn't matter. I I think Pep Hamilton, the head coach in D.C., is a great coach. He's a good communicator. I'm a big fan of his. And right now, the biggest problem in D.C. is their quarterback. It's it's his body language. It's his attitude. It's his something is wrong with Cardell Jones. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if his dog died. I don't know what happened. I think, again, a lot of it's just in his head mentally. But Cardell Jones is really, really fallen off the deep end the last two weeks. And it's not hopeless, but it's definitely a really, really challenging task for Pep Hamilton. I mean, Pep Hamilton is going to be tested in the next couple weeks as a head coach. He's calling great plays. He's doing the right stuff, but his quarterback 
cannot execute the plays that are called. If you, you can make a great play call. You can have everything right. But if your quarterback doesn't execute the play, it doesn't matter. And what's sad is, again, Cardell Jones in the first two weeks of the season was executing things right. So something, a flip got switched. I don't know if it was because he threw four interceptions last week and just doesn't trust himself at all anymore. But again, this is not about football. It's not about X's and O's with Cardell Jones. The question is, can Pep Hamilton connect with his quarterback, Cardell Jones, on a personal level in week five? Can he help his quarterback get on the right path? You know, this week, the D.C. defenders play the St. Louis Battlehawks. That's going to be a really tough task. The St. Louis Battlehawks are, they're arguably, you know, it's hard to tell. We're four weeks in now. D.C., I thought, was the best team in the league. But the last two weeks has been awful because of their quarterback play. I like Houston a lot. I think, actually, St. Louis is better. St. Louis's quarterback gets better and better and better. And their running game is great. Their defense is great. I think St. Louis is probably the best team in the league, despite the fact that they're 3-1 and one while the Houston Roughnecks are 4-0. and oh. I-, I think D.C. is in big trouble. They could get their butts smacked this weekend against the St. Louis Battlehawks. And it- this is a really big fork in the road, a gigantic moment in the history of Cardell Jones, in the history of Pep Hamilton, in the history of the D.C. defenders. How do they respond to... Either last week, do they play well in week five against the St. Louis Battlehawks? And then if they get crushed or lose badly to the St. Louis Battlehawks, how will they respond to that? Again, all the problems in my mind, what I see is that the issues are in Cardell Jones' mind. He needs to get out of his own head, go back to what his coaching has told him, trust himself, believe in himself, have more confidence. And if he does that, DC will be fine. But D.C. is only as good as their quarterback. If Cardell Jones is, remains a mess, so too will the D.C. defenders. They will continue to slide farther and farther down the standings. Now, during week four, the St. Louis Battlehawks beat the Seattle Dragons 23-16. to And the story to me, the glorious, wonderful story, I loved watching it, was the progress of their young quarterback, Jordan Ta'amu. He's 22 years old. And you got to remember, this guy only started for one season at Ole Miss, his senior year. Then he ran out of eligibility. He had, a, you know, he transferred in. He had some issue in the past. You know, he, he he went to his school briefly. He left. That cost him a year of eligibility. But the dude has made so much progress as a quarterback from the season he started at Ole Miss to now. It's unbelievable. It's it's really pretty amazing. The progress that Jordan Ta'amu has made as a quarterback. I, I just I actually want to applaud him. The work ethic is inspiring to me, what he's done. Um, you know, week four of the XFL season was the best game I've ever seen Jordan Ta'amu play in my entire life. You know, when he was coming out of college, a lot of people were like, you should do a Jordan Ta'amu film analysis. And I said, eh, he's not going to make an NFL roster, which he didn't, by the way. And he made training camp with the Houston Texans, got cut. And it didn't surprise me because out of college, I watched a little bit of his film and I was like, this guy isn't worth making a video about. He's not that good. He was all over the place. He was erratic. He had some t- like physical ability, but physical ability is useless if you can't channel it into the right areas. And oh my goodness, thank God. I, I, I'm so glad the XFL exists because it has given guys like Jordan Ta'amu a real legitimate opportunity to develop. And I, I love the quarterback position, and that is exactly w- what we've gotten to see 
with Jordan Ta'amu in St. Louis with the Battlehawks. I mean, the dude was phenomenal against Seattle Week 4. He made great decisions. And I mean, he made next-level decisions where I think he missed, like, he made two bad throws the entire game. One, his one bad throw was he got hit as he threw it, should have been picked off. Seattle dropped the interception, but that's really not Jordan Ta'amu's fault because he got hit as he threw. And then he had a play where he had a, a, a speed out that he just literally missed. He just missed it low. And like, it was third down. I wrote in my notes, it's like, you cannot miss a third down. But actually, when I reflect on the whole game, those are the only two bad throws I saw all game from Jordan Ta'amu. And that's unbelievable. I mean, that's crazy. He was throwing the ball before receivers were making the break. He had a deep in route where the receiver was breaking down. He released the ball, threw the ball before the receiver was out of his break, led him into the right spot. I was like, wow, that's an NFL throw. He had throws in the tight windows. He had a throw at the end of the game where, and this is so cool. It showed a lot of progress from Jordan to Amu. He was so comfortable at the end of the game. It was an RPO. You know, they, they run, it basically becomes a play action pass where they do a run like a flash fake. They're reading the defense. If they like what they see, they throw the ball. He threw a back shoulder seam ball to the slot receiver, and I just went, that's, that's an NFL throw. I mean, the precision, the comfort to do that, the confidence to make that happen. Jordan Ta'amu has come so far, and it's scary how much better he is. And it's really cool hearing the St. Louis coaches talk about how, you know, last week against Seattle in week four, they made a point to throw the ball more. Their game plan was, hey, we're going to start throwing the ball more than we have all year. And I really believe a lot of the reason for that is because their confidence in Jordan Ta'amu has just steadily increased throughout the rest of the year. I mean, they've seen week one to week four, he's a dramatically better quarterback, making great decisions. He's listened to his coaches. He's done well. He's trusted them. He's also got this element to his game where he can extend a play. He can run when he needs to. I think he had like something like 63 yards rushing or something. He's just moving well. He can extend plays. Jordan Ta'amu... It's very quickly. I think P.J. Walker is the best quarterback prospect in the XFL. Right behind him is Jordan Ta'amu. Jordan Ta'amu is only 22 years old. Maybe he plays one more year in the XFL. Maybe he goes directly to the NFL. But he's so young. He's so physically gifted. And he's got such maturity about the way he carries himself. He's so calm. He's so collected. He's so cool. I would be shocked if... And that's not true because a lot of people... People still aren't sure of the XFL yet. But somebody out there could look at Jordan Ta'amu and say, hey, this kid's 22. He's a free agent, which means that, hey, I don't have to waste a draft pick. If you want a quarterback of the future, or if you have, like, what's a great example? If the Saints in New Orleans said, hey, we have Drew Brees. He's our starter currently. We need a plan for the future. We don't really want to use a first-round draft pick on a future pick. Maybe the New Orleans Saints go, hey, we're going to bring in Jordan Ta'amu, we're going to, you know, let Drew Brees play. Say, hey, Jordan, you're going to get a lot of reps. You're going to learn. You're going to prepare. I would love to see that happen for Jordan Ta'amu because he really has potential to become an NFL quarterback. If he keeps playing the way he played in week four, and at the rate of progression he's made, it's just, it, the sky's the limit. It's really cool. If he keeps playing the way he has in week four, if week four is a new Jordan Ta'amu and he continues to play that way the rest of the year, then it is very likely and very possible. In fact, it might even be true that the St. Louis Battlehawks would be the favorite to win the XFL championship if Jordan Ta'amu continues to play at a high level like that. I cannot overstate. This whole video, this whole topic has been about how 
I'm so impressed with the progress of Jordan Ta'amu, but it's so true. Um, he made some great NFL-level throws. He had a deep ball down the left sideline. It was perfect. It was in stride. That's a really big leap forward from college when he struggled to make throws like that. And it was just one of many, many impressive throws that Jordan Ta'amu made in week four of the XFL season. I was so impressed. It was so much fun. And, uh, you know, week four of the XFL season was Jordan Ta'amu's best game of his entire career, college or pro. It was phenomenal. It's fun to watch. This is why I love the XFL is watching guys like Jordan Ta'amu progress week to week and get better and better and make a name for themselves. That is what fires me up. I love that. And I hope it continues in week five because Jordan Ta'amu in week four, wow, looked like a dramatically improved quarterback. And it wasn't, you know, a fluke. It wasn't like he was just getting lucky. No, he just made flat out great decisions. And that's a new thing. That's an improvement from Jordan Ta'amu. I think he's just trusting his coaching, getting better and listening. And for me, that's what I love about the quarterback position is watching a young guy progress and get better week to week. Oh my gosh, it fires me up. Now, the Seattle Dragons were beat in week four of the XFL season, uh, but there was really one exciting thing that happened despite the loss. The thing that I loved, I've covered the Seattle Dragons really heavily. I've been to multiple games of theirs. I've been in press conferences. I have friends on the team. I know Jim's, I have met Jim Zorn. Uh, It's, Seattle finally benched their quarterback, Brandon Silvers. And for me, it was a moment of celebration where I said, finally, I am so irritated. I've been so irritated all year watching Brandon Silvers, the quarterback for the Seattle Dragons, especially when quarterbacks around the XFL, guys like Jordan Ta'amu, are making such tremendous progress and getting better week to week. And Brandon Silvers remains increasingly frustrating to watch, just making bad decisions and showing really weak preparation. And, and I don't think Brandon Silvers gets it, by the way. I, I just don't think that Brandon Silvers understands the opportunity he has in front of him. Uh, it's it just The preparation he showed is horrible. He made bad decisions every week he's played. And uh, his teammates have been frustrated. Now, I'm so glad. They benched Brandon Silvers. They brought in B.J. Daniels. I want to go into this, though. One of the main complaints about Brandon Silvers is that people say he loves to go out at night. He loves to go out and enjoy his time in the Seattle nightlife. And uh, it's a bad look when he's playing poorly and making a lot more money than all the other people on the team, and they're losing because he's playing poorly. The defense in Seattle has been making a lot of plays, and, oh boy, Brandon Silvers has not been playing well enough. So to see him get benched in St. Louis, for me, was a triumphant moment. I was like, I don't root against people, but, man, a guy who was holding his team back a team I think has some talent, was great. So finally, the Seattle Dragons benched Brandon Silvers. They put in B.J. Daniels. The team was happy. I was happy. I imagine a lot of Seattle Dragons fans were happy. And the Dragons rallied. They scored two touchdowns in the second half. They weren't able to come all the way back and win. But B.J. Daniels made a gigantic impact at the quarterback position. Number one, he ran the ball really well. Having a quarterback with... True mobility. He was able to run and create plays with his legs. Really, really helped the Seattle Dragons in that game last week. But number two, the truth is that B.J. Daniels Daniels simply executed the plays that were called better. He did what Brandon Silvers was unable to do for the first three three and a half games of the season, is that B.J. Daniels consistently made good decisions 
and put the ball in the right spot. It's like he understood, hey, the reason why Jim Zorn is calling this play is to put the ball here. B.J. Daniels showed maturity, showed understanding of why a play was being called. It's one thing to just go through your read progression, but B.J. Daniels clearly understood, hey, we're calling this play to attack the defense this way, and if the ball doesn't go here, I can go here. He understood his options. B.J. Daniels showed a much more comprehensive understanding of the offense than Brandon Silvers ever did. And for me, it just was so great to watch the Seattle Dragons finally get competent quarterback play. You know, they're all season Seattle's defense was playing great, but their quarterback was a limiting factor. And with BJ Daniels at quarterback, I think the Dragons finally have an opportunity to maybe win some games. Now, people might ask, why did it take so long for the Seattle Dragons to bench Brandon Silvers? This is a gigantic thing a lot of people don't really understand about the XFL. Is For sure, politics were involved in the decision to let Brandon Silvers play for the first three weeks. And, you know, why did it take so long to bench him? Here's why. And it's, I don't blame Jim Zorn, the general manager, the last head coach. Um, at the start of the season, eight quarterbacks were chosen. These are the cream of the crop. These are the best eight quarterbacks. And every XFL team was allocated one of those eight quarterbacks. And the belief was, hey, we hope and we believe that these are the best eight quarterbacks in the league. Now, sadly... It's been proven that's not entirely true all the way. But the reality is that those quarterbacks were treated a little bit differently. They get a little bit more money than everybody else on the team. They were like, hopefully, the, the hope was they'd be the face of the franchise. And again, that just didn't happen. And Seattle kept hoping that Brandon Silvers was going to make progress. They're like, please, Brandon, do the work. Please get better. We're, we're waiting, we're waiting. And, and it never happened, it never came to fruition. And so... The reality is that Brandon Silver has had an opportunity and he played himself out of a job. Seattle wanted him to be the guy. They, they, they gave him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And Brandon Silvers could not make it happen. And again, sadly, it sounds like the narrative behind the scenes is that he did not do the work it took behind the scenes to become a franchise quarterback in Seattle. Now, there are two more things I want to mention about the Seattle Dragons. Uh, number one is that their linebacker, Steven Johnson, is phenomenal. He should get the Defensive Player of the Year. I really, really enjoy watching him. He leads the XFL in tackles. He has 40 tackles on the season. That is six tackles ahead of the next guy. But it's not just tackles. You know, Stats are a product of good play. And Steven Johnson is playing really, really well. It's not just that he's got good numbers. He's consistently in the right spot. But I want to explain a scenario last week where... He made a play against St. Louis where St. Louis is running RPOs all day, meaning that they're putting a linebacker in conflict. So it was a play where Steven Johnson was the guy St. Louis was reading. They were going to run the ball. If Steven Johnson flew upfield to stop the run, they were going to throw the ball behind him. Now, Steven Johnson did something you're not supposed to be able to do, is he played both. He got in position to stop the run if they handed off the ball. And when they tried to throw the ball behind him, and by the way, the receiver was wide open. If St. Louis had been able to complete the pass behind Steven Johnson, it would have been a touchdown. Steven Johnson flew up to stop the run, but was able to get his hand back. So when the ball goes behind him, he reached back and knocked the ball out of the air. It's unbelievable. Again, it's a play designed to put that player in conflict, and you're not supposed to be able to play both. Steven Johnson played it perfectly. It was phenomenal. It was great. 
And he was able to, to defend it and make a play and play. He was in position to stop the run. And hey, when they tried to throw the ball behind him, he still was able to knock the ball away. That's a testament to how well-prepared and how skilled Steven Johnson is. He's the defensive player of the year in the XFL. He's the best linebacker in the league. He's phenomenal. He's got a great motor. He's a good leader. And I, I really enjoy watching him. I also got to say, I love watching Jim Zorn. I think Jim Zorn, the head coach of Seattle, gets a bad rap. Uh, you watch him sometimes, and he's not the most clear communicator. I think maybe, like, I, I don't think he is the best teacher in the world. But at Jim, I love Jim. He's great. He's my, he's my favorite coach, probably. One of them in the league. I really, we have good rapport. I really like him. But I think there's a, a, a thing that people are under, misunderstanding. When you listen to Jim Zorn talk on the sideline, it's hard to follow. Again, he's not the clearest of communicators, but he's, he's better than you think. He's a former quarterback. And you have to understand that he's calling plays in a verbiage that's not his. They had a different offensive coordinator at the start of the year. When that guy left, Jim Zorn took over as offensive coordinator. As the play caller, he, he now has play calling duties. The guy who used to have the job was a different guy with different verbiage than Jim Zorn. So imagine like you're calling plays in Spanish when your first language is English and you only kind of know Spanish. That's kind of the only way I can think to put it is that your terminology is different than the terminology Jim Zorn's using. So sometimes people go, why does it sound like Jim Zorn is stumbling over his words? Why do we not understand? You have to understand that Jim Zorn is basically calling plays in a foreign language he's not used to because he's he did a really good wise thing, which is that to say when the, when the offensive coordinator left, Instead of changing the verbiage to the, the, the verbiage and the words, meaning code words, like, for example, some people would have the same play call, but it's named different things, like banana versus spider or banana versus apple. And, you know, if Jim Zorn calls a, a speed out apple, the other guy called it banana. So Jim Zorn said, hey, my players understand the verbiage of the old coach. I'm going to do my players a favor. I'm not going to change everything at last minute. We're going to remain with the verbiage the other guy had. I'm going to adapt to the team rather than forcing the team to adapt to me. Now, sometimes I believe that causes Jim Zorn to jumble his words and sound a little bit confusing from a, a fan perspective on the sideline when you listen to the headset the way he calls plays. I think the players understand, and I, I think it, it, it might not look or sound the prettiest, but I think that's because Jim Zorn is a good dude who tried to adapt to his team rather than being the high and mighty guy making his team adapt to him. I think it's a great thing. I think Jim Zorn is, I love the guy. I really enjoy the interactions we've had. I think he deserves a lot of credit as a coach. And the fact that he finally took the moment to bench Brandon Silvers, which is a hard move because I really wanted him to be the guy. They put away Brandon Silvers. They finally put in BJ Daniels. It worked. They have great rapport together. BJ Daniels seems to very clearly understand his coach and understand where the coach is trying to go with the play call. It's fun to watch. I believe in Jim Zorn. I love BJ Daniels. That defense is good. Seattle's one and three, but that second spot in the West is wide open for business. And I really believe that Seattle, with a move at quarterback, by changing quarterbacks, giving themselves an opportunity to be successful in the future, they could, in fact, make a run and make it into the final playoff spot. Brandon Silvers was the problem in Seattle. And I am so, so glad he's no longer the starting quarterback of that team. Now, uh, the Houston Roughnecks won during week four. They beat Dallas 27-20. to It was a Texas throwdown, and man, it was so much fun. Uh, and the guy to watch, as always, was the Houston Roughnecks quarterback, P.J. Walker. 
He was 25 for 41 passing for 239 yards. He had two touchdowns. He did have one interception. He also had, I think, the best play of the day, honestly, for P.J. Walker during week four was a play where he ran for a three-point conversion. I went, wow, that's awesome. That's a really beautiful play. He made two guys miss, jumped over a guy, scored a three-point conversion from the 10-yard line. I went, that's a crazy good run. I will be honest, though. This was P.J. Walker's week four was P.J. Walker's worst game of the season. He started the game off a little bit. You know, he, he missed. He was just a little bit off. He missed a couple throws early with inaccuracy. He forced a couple throws into coverage. And the reality is some of the completions he had in the second quarter were throws that probably should have been incomplete where he threw behind a receiver or a little bit late. But because the XFL was a little bit slower, they were completed where in the NFL level, P.J. Walker throws the ball an out route a little too far inside or he throws a hitch a little bit late. It's not going to be a completion. So there were we saw... A little bit of cracks in the armor of P.J. Walker where we went, ooh, I don't know that... You know, we saw some a weakness in his game a little bit with timing, with accuracy, where P.J. Walker probably has to step it up a little bit. But also, I got to say, I really feel like I'm nitpicking. The dude also had some stellar throws and some beautiful highlights. But highlights is the key. If you only watch P.J. Walker's best moments, you'll go, this dude is the best thing since sliced bread. He's the best quarterback prospect I've ever seen. But he does have some bad plays, and the bad plays really showed at the beginning of the game, week four, against Dallas. But overall, again, week four for Dallas, it was his worst game. But I don't have a ton more to say. I really like him. I will say this, though. Watching, there was a moment where they showed Kyler Murray on the sideline of the game in Dallas. And it really made me think, man, the Arizona Cardinals should make a move at P.J. Walker. It'd be very wise for them. P.J. Walker would be an ideal backup to Kyler Murray in Arizona because him and Kyler Murray, P.J. Walker, Kyler Murray, they have very similar skill sets. And if Kyler Murray, God forbid, ever got hurt, the Arizona Cardinals could bring in P.J. Walker and would not need to change their offense. They could call all the same plays because, again, Kyler Murray and P.J. Walker, Kyler Murray has a better arm than P.J. Walker. Kyler Murray's got, I think he spins the ball better than some of the guys, other guys. Kyler Murray, people don't understand how incredibly gifted his arm talent is. But you could replace Kyler Murray with P.J. Walker, and you would have a drop-off, absolutely. Because, again, Kyler's special. But P.J. Walker's pretty dang good, and you could call all the same plays. A lot of runs to the perimeter with the quarterback, a lot of zone read stuff, a lot of guy, And you could expect plays where P.J. Walker uses his legs and extends a play. I think they're very similar prospects, and if I was the Arizona Cardinals, I'd say, hey, because here's the thing. If, if Kyler Murray got hurt and the next man up was, say, Zach Mettenberger, the former LSU quarterback who has no mobility whatsoever, if, that, if your backup in Arizona had no mobility, you'd have to call a completely different offense in Arizona to cater to that because your offense is set up for a, a quarterback who's mobile and can move around. If Kyler Murray got hurt in Arizona and you had P.J. Walker behind him, Nothing would have to change from an approach, from a game plan perspective, and from a play calling perspective. That'd be a huge advantage in Arizona. If I was Arizona Cardinals, I think it'd be a shame, frankly, to have P.J. Walker as a backup next year in the NFL. He's too good a prospect. I want to watch him play somewhere, whether it's a, a starting gig in the XFL or a starting gig in the NFL, or maybe even behind Drew Brees working towards a starting gig. I think it'd be a shame to have P.J. Walker simply be a backup with no hope of ever playing. But if I was the Arizona Cardinals, 
I would absolutely make a play at P.J. Walker and try to go get him and get a great backup behind Kyler Murray because their skill sets are just so similar. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will talk about the final four teams of the XFL and how their week four went last week. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to take a moment to complain about something about my internet. It's it's crazy to me. I went to New York, and <laughs> the internet in Manhattan, for example, my friend has like basic, generic, boring, quote unquote. She called it slow internet in Manhattan. It was literally like 80 times faster than what I have in Portland, Oregon. I'm like, what? what's going on? The East Coast, like New York just has blazing speeds. My buddy Tom Grossi has incredibly fast internet. I'm like, what? I pay for the best internet humanly possible in the Portland, Oregon area, at least for like, you know, regular human beings that aren't, you know, Intel or like Microsoft. And dog, it is dog awful. I, it's terrible internet. I don't understand like, I, Seattle has really fast internet. Portland just doesn't. That's a, a frustrating conundrum for me. I'm like, ah, I got to get out of this place. I want faster internet. I'm going to the East Coast. Better time zone, better internet, all around better experience. Driving me nuts. I want better internet. So, so bad. Um, during week four of the XFL season, the Dallas Renegades just had a really, really bad week. Their offensive coordinator, Hal Mummy, got hit on the sideline, broke his leg. They also lost to their in-Texas rival, the Houston Roughnecks. They lost 27-20. to And their quarterback, Landry Jones, played badly and also got hurt. One, two, three, four. The things just pile up more and more. That did not mean... For, I did not mean for that to rhyme. Oh, gosh. It's terrible. Rhymes, rhymes are... Mm, it's terrible. It's a crime. Uh, <laughs> Landry Jones, uh, he played really bad... I think that's the worst game he's played all year. It's very interesting. Like week one, uh, two and three, Landry Jones made progress from, you know, week two was okay. It was his first start in LA. Week three, I was like, oh, hey, Landry Jones, not perfect, but it's his second start in the XFL is getting better. And then week four just was a dud. His first three drives of the game all produced interceptions. He was not good. And just week four for Landry Jones was a gigantic step backward. He made terrible decisions. He kept forcing throws into coverage. And he did it over and over again. I'm like, dude, that guy's not open. What are you doing? And now his head coach, Bob Stoops, and his offensive coordinator, Hal Mummy, they kept supporting him. They kept saying, hey, it's okay. Bob Stoops even, you know, it's very interesting watching the film. Bob Stoops and Hal Mummy blamed receivers for his interceptions. But the reality is, those guys were simply not open. And it's funny, even in the moment, Bob Stoops was like, it! why are you throwing there? He's not open. Like, Bob Stoops had a... He, he very carefully changed his language in the interview compared to what he said when he was mic'd up on the field in the moment. It's very telling to me. Bob Stoops really wants to support Landry Jones, and there's a good reason for it. Now, a lot of people believe it's because, well, you know, Landry Jones played for a long time with Bob Stoops at Oklahoma and their buddies and their friends. And sure, no doubt that plays a part. But the biggest reason to me why the Dallas Renegades consistently support and back Landry Jones, well, there's two reasons. Number one is the biggest reason actually to me, you're not going to believe this, but it is true. Landry Jones gives the Dallas Renegades 
the best opportunity to win football games. He's a better quarterback all around than their backup, Philip Nelson. Philip Nelson, the backup quarterback, is he's got a really weak arm, and he legitimately struggles to throw the ball more than five yards downfield. Anything other than like little checkdowns and five-yard hitches and little dinky throws underneath, he straight up just struggles. He's not very good at... I mean, there was a... You know, he got into the end of the game against Houston. The team limped their way down the field. They got two gigantic penalties that helped them you know, get yards downfield. They also had... Philip Nelson ran the ball up the middle for a big gain. But Philip Nelson, when it came time to throw the ball, all season has struggled to actually do that. He cannot get the ball down the field. It's not, not, he's not good at that. And Landry Jones' arm talent vastly opens up the Dallas offense. They're just a better, more capable football team when Landry Jones' arm is playing quarterback for the Dallas Renegades. Interceptions or not, he opens up the playbook. He, they can throw the ball more than five yards downfield. They're better. The Dallas Renegades are a better football team when Landry Jones is their quarterback. Also, you have to acknowledge this is the, a lot of people will say this is the true number one reason. I don't think it is. I think, again, Landry Jones is actually, when you watch the film, the best quarterback option for the Dallas Renegades. But number two, you got to acknowledge just politically, Landry Jones is a far better option at quarterback as well. You know, he played quarterback at Oklahoma for a long time. Oklahoma and Texas are border rivals, but a lot of people in the Dallas area are actually Oklahoma fans. And the hope and belief is hey, our fan base in Dallas is going to draw the Oklahoma crowd. We have Bob Stoops, a former Oklahoma head coach. We have Landry Jones, a former Oklahoma quarterback. He's a big name. And we believe Landry Jones playing quarterback for the Dallas Renegades, aside from the fact he's also our best quarterback, we believe he's going to draw in fans. But again, he also is legitimately their best option at quarterback. Philip Nelson is super limited. But at the end of the game, Landry Jones hurt his knee. He was a quarterback sneak up the middle, hurt his knee, and he's going to miss at least the next two weeks, if not longer. So now Dallas is in a really, really bad situation. They are 2-2. Two and two. They will likely be 2-4 and four when they get their starting quarterback back from an injury. And sadly, the reality is that because Landry Jones is going to be injured for the next two weeks, maybe longer, when he does finally come back, he's not going to be ready because he missed a bunch of reps coming into the year, didn't get reps, and looked horrible the last two weeks. And he's going to struggle again when he gets back because they're going to keep saying, well, he's still getting the rust off. He hasn't got a lot of reps. They're going to keep blaming reps and say, look, Landry Jones needs more reps, but he's not going to get reps while he's injured. So the problem's just going to compound and make it worse and worse and worse. So... Dallas is struggling with a really messy, really ugly quarterback situation. Landry Jones is the best quarterback they have. He cannot stay healthy. And uh, you know it's really too bad because Dallas has a talented roster. They almost beat the St. Louis Battlehawks week one, even though they had a backup quarterback, Philip Nelson. Like Dallas is a good roster, but their quarterback play has just been problematic. Now, in the next two weeks, they play the New York Guardians and then the D.C. Defenders. The New York Guardians are getting better. They're trending up. The D.C. Defenders are trending down. But they're still winnable games. You know, Dallas, they're much more winnable games if they had Landry Jones at quarterback. But these are not immediate losses for Dallas. They're not going to be favored, I would believe. But the other teams are beatable. They're not playing the Houston Roughnecks again. They're not playing the St. Louis Battlehawks again. These are teams that their roster is capable of beating if their defense steps up and makes plays. And if their quarterback, Philip Nelson, doesn't turn the ball over, there's a possibility the Dallas Renegades could win the next two weeks, but it all depends on their quarterback play 
And sadly, I think their quarterback play is not good enough. Dallas, I just feel bad for them. Their season's getting ruined by their quarterback situation. That, that makes me really, really sad for them. Now, during week four, the New York Guardians beat the LA Wildcats 17-14. to I was at the game. I was at MetLife Stadium. I was on the sideline. I was on the press box. First of all, thank you to the XFL for that opportunity. Thank you to the New York Guardians. They were, very, they were great hosts. They were very kind. And number one, going to the game, ton of fun. I love it. I like the people of New York. I really have a fondness for the attitude and the gruffness. and the. I met a lot of fans, too. Like A guy named Taylor was there. A couple people took pictures with me. I got to meet a lot of people who listened to the show at the, the Guardians game. Oh, my gosh. It was so cool. Now, number two, wow, did New York drastically improve from week three to week four. I could not believe it. You know, week three, they got destroyed and embarrassed. They lost 29-9. to nine. And I called them a mess of a football team. Well, then week four, they made a change at quarterback. And wow, wow, it made a huge difference. Matt McGloin, the former quarterback, was hurt. And if I were him, I would remain, quote-unquote, hurt the rest of the year. Matt McGloin was not on the sideline. They, they took him off the sideline. They put him in the press box. He looked pretty angry when they showed a camera picture of him. And I think it was really good for the Guardians to remove Matt McGloin from their sidelines. I hate saying that, but it's true. The demeanor of New York, I was on the sideline, they were a different football team. They were calm, they were composed, and they were led by their quarterback, Luis Perez. I I love Luis Perez. I watched him when he played for the Birmingham Iron in the AAF. I loved that. He's, I've been a fan of him since he was on the Rams because the, the stories that came out of the Rams, I have some friends who play for the Rams, and they talked about how Luis Perez literally would beat Sean McVay, the head coach, in the facility every morning. Luis Perez was so driven and so motivated and so hungry to succeed. He didn't even make the roster, but they loved his work ethic. Now, Luis Perez was calm. He was composed. He was great as a leader, and the, really the leader that New York needed last week against L.A. I mentioned Luis Perez during my season preview. I said that if he got any kind of opportunity this year, he would take advantage of it. He's that kind of guy. He's prepared. He works incredibly hard. Like Preparation is the name of his game. And that's exactly what Luis Perez did. He took advantage of the opportunity. He won New York the game. He played great. He played efficient. It was so cool. And the story of Luis Perez, you got to hear this. It's so, so cool. Luis Perez was an elite bowler who never played high school quarterback. He walked on to a community college, went from eighth string to, to becoming the starter. Then he went from the community college to play D2 football at Texas A&M Commerce. I believe they won the national championship. He was the Division II. I do know this for a fact. He was a Division II national player of the year. He basically won the Division II Heisman Trophy. Then he went to the Rams. Now he's on the, uh, the XFL New York Guardians. And watching the progression of Luis Perez's career is so cool because this is a guy, again, who did not play quarterback in high school, taught himself how to play the position, walked onto a football team in college, made the team, won player of the year. I, I love that story so much. And what Luis Perez provided in New York, it was stability at the quarterback position. Like, they didn't lean on Luis Perez. The Guardians ran the ball really heavily. They had over 100, and, you know, they had over 100 rushing yards on 29 carries. Luis Perez was 18 for 26 passing at 150 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. But what he did was play good, clean, efficient football. 
He made great decisions. He put the ball in the right spot. And he threw some really good passes. New York has the right quarterback in Luis Perez. Luis Perez is the right quarterback for New York. He should be their starting quarterback for the rest of the season. He should be their permanent starter. This week, New York plays Dallas. That's a game they're very capable of winning. Dallas has a backup quarterback that could win that game. And the, the, the lesson here is that week four, New York was a very different football team. Week three, they were yelling at each other. They were angry. You know, the last couple weeks, Matt McGloin, I think, became a problem. I, I liked Matt McGloin in college. I thought the way he handled the entire mess at Penn State. You know, I, I really would have thought Matt McGloin would be better in crisis. He was not. When things went wrong, Matt McGloin lost just lost it. He just flew off the handle and uh, he was yelling at people and calling guys out and calling coaches out. And that's not a good environment. I, I just don't think it worked. And Luis Perez was coachable. He was willing to do what they, he just trusted his coaching, brought stability, wasn't yelling. He's a good leader and was exactly what New York needed. They, you know, week four, they were a disciplined, well-organized team. And uh, the truth is that people don't realize how new these teams are. Like these are teams that have been playing together for like six weeks. So maybe just New York needed time to grow together and come together as a team. But what we saw week four from the New York guardians was a very vastly different football team than what we saw week three. And I'm excited to watch them progress. And I'm really excited to watch their starting quarterback, Luis Perez. I love him. He's great. And he's so much fun to watch. The Tampa Bay. What am I saying? The Tampa Bay Vipers finally got their first win of the season during XFL Week 4. They smacked the D.C. Defenders 25-0. to zero. A lot of people were like, what the? Where did that come from? It came out of nowhere. Now, the story of this game is that Tampa Bay ran all over the D.C. Defenders. Both of their running backs had over 100 yards rushing. As a team, they ran the ball 46 times for 266 yards and what else, the other interesting storyline is that they finally solidified their quarterback position in Tampa Bay. It's very complicated, so I'm going to start here. Taylor Cornelius started and played the entire game at quarterback for the Tampa Bay Vipers. He was 24 for 31 passing, had 211 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I'll be honest, I did not think that what we saw from Taylor Cornelius was really that amazing. It was like very good, very solid. The people in Tampa Bay are super happy. Like, we finally got our franchise quarterback with the Tampa Bay Vipers. We're so happy. We finally got our guy. And look, again, Taylor Cornelius was certainly solid. He made good decisions. And it probably helped that, you know, he wasn't trading drives with quarterbacks. Like, in the, the previous couple weeks, they had Quinton Flowers play quarterback. Then they'd rotate and put in Taylor Cornelius. And you're coming in and out. It's hard to build a rhythm as a quarterback. But it also probably helped just a little bit that the team ran for 266 yards and ran the ball 46 times. It helps a little bit to have that in your repertoire. Taylor Cornelius made two throws that I went, wow. He made two throws that made me go, that's a good throw. One was his touchdown. He had a touchdown over the middle where DC brought an all-out blitz. And finally, Taylor Cornelius did the thing I've been screaming for for weeks. Instead of trying to run away from the blitz or panicking, what Taylor Cornelius did was say, hey, they're blitzing. There's fewer guys in coverage. He stood calmly in the pocket, threw the open man over the middle. Easy touchdown. The guy was wide open. Taylor Cornelius, that's a really good play. I loved it. And then later in the game, he also had a nice throw over the middle on play action where it's a good, solid throw. But the rest of the game, though, was just a ton of simple, 
little, you know, passes underneath, some screen passes. I mean, Taylor Cornelius also had a really ugly interception. My point is that currently, as it stands today, Tampa Bay, the Vipers could not win a game alone on Taylor Cornelius's arm. Now, the good thing is they don't need that. The Tampa Bay Vipers have a good running game, and all they really need at the quarterback position is stability. And Taylor Cornelius provides stability at the quarterback position. I, I, he seems like the right guy to be. I don't know for sure, but he seems like he could prove me wrong. But seems like the right guy to be the starter. Fair enough. I agree with that. But you got to also acknowledge that Taylor Cornelius was not like incredible. Taylor Cornelius was really good, had a lot of advantages. They ran the ball incredibly well. And he made like two good throws the whole game. I mean, that, that's, that's Taylor Cornelius's game in a nutshell, week four. Now, the reason why Taylor Cornelius started the entire game and played the entire game for Tampa is because their backup, another quarterback, Quinton Flowers, decided to leave the team for a brief period and take a leave of absence because of, quote, personal reasons. Now, we know now he's back with the team. We now know the reason he left is because he requested a trade. He wanted to leave the team. But it's also, you know, people, you know, the head coach, Mark Trestman, said he's back with the team. He's got a good attitude. And uh, I don't blame Quinton Flowers at all for wanting a trade. I think the quarterback situation has been really tough on him and tough on everybody. When you're going in and out and the, the fans are cheering for you and the other guy's playing more. And you're like, why can't I get a start? Why can't I play more? It'd be frustrating for him. I understand. But I think at the end of the day, Quinton Flowers realized, hey, you know, this is my shot to play professional football. This is my opportunity. And I can be upset about the quarterback situation, but if I don't play, I, I literally don't play. So I'd better play now or else I'll never get to play again. And so I think that's what happened with Quinton Flowers is he realized, hey, this is my shot and I better not blow it. This is my opportunity to play pro football. I better take advantage of it. Uh, so he's the backup of the Vipers. He's taking reps currently at quarterback at practice, taking reps at running back. He's taking reps at receiver. They're going to use Quinton Flowers literally all over the field. And what I think, if I, if I was Quinton Flowers' dad, what I would tell him is, hey, son, be ready. Do what your team needs. This is your opportunity to play pro football. Show what you got. If they want you at running back, play running back. If they want you at receiver, play receiver. And then be ready to play quarterback. If Taylor Cornelius next week, week five, gets hurt, be ready to take his job. The minute you get a rep at quarterback, be ready to make take advantage of that opportunity. Until then, do whatever's asked of you. But hey, remember, you're still the number two quarterback. And if a guy gets hurt, you're next up. You never know what could happen. So if I was, was Quinton Flowers, do what your team needs, help out, have a good attitude, and be ready if your number gets called. You, you never, maybe Taylor Cornelius just has a horrible game in week five or week six or week seven. You never know. Quinton Flowers just needs to stay ready. I also want to give a shout out to the Vipers coaching staff. Um, they made a change. They simplified their play calling system. And I just want to say, well done by the Vipers. It's Mark Tressman, the head coach of the Vipers, gets a lot of hate. People crap on him all the time. He's a very nice man. I've met him. I really like him. I think he's, he's won multiple Grey Cups in the Canadian Football League. He clearly is not a completely incompetent idiot football coach. He knows something about the game of football. And that's a small example of, hey, the Vipers have some self-awareness. Making that midseason adjustment, making it easier on their players. I love that. It's a key moment. And uh, you got to really respect. Mark Tressman gets a lot of hate. He coached in Chicago with bad ownership, with a bad general manager, and not a great quarterback. 
lay off a little bit of Mark Trustman. He's had a bad quarterback situation again in Tampa Bay. I feel bad for him, but he's a nice man. I think he understands offense better than people give him credit for. And uh, that's an, uh, we found an opportunity to praise Mark Trestman. I want to take advantage of that because I really like Mark Trestman. He seems like a good man, and he's not an idiot football coach. Okay, during week four, the LA Wildcats lost to New York 17-14. to It was a tough loss, and uh, I'll be honest, I have a hard time getting a read on the LA Wildcats because you know, week one, they played a backup quarterback. Week two... A different thing. They've won one game, but they've they've made progress every week. And I just don't know what to make right now of the LA Wildcats. But I will say this. The head coach, Winston Moss, said after the game that he believes his team has turned a corner. They took a big step forward with week four and believes that week four, despite the loss, was actually a, a turning point and they turned a corner as a franchise in LA. I got to look Winston Moss in the eyeballs. I was in the room with him when he said that. He seems convicted. I, I, I believe him. I, I really think he, when he says that, he believes that. Winston Moss would have said nothing. He's that kind of guy. He doesn't give you anything. But he said he chose to make that statement. I think it's true. I believe that. And uh, I, I really, I like Winston Moss tremendously. A lot of people, I shook the man's hand. I got to meet the guy. I, I tremendously respect him. And I, I get this vibe that I, I believe him. Now, Josh Johnson, the quarterback, he's 33 years old. He's a veteran, been in the NFL for a long time, was pissed. He was so mad about the loss. I got to interview him afterwards. After the interview, he walked away and just went, he was yelling expletives, just, Dah! not like at anybody, just he was clearly pissed off. He didn't like losing the game. And like nobody likes losing, but it's very clear to me Josh Johnson wants to win and wants to succeed in L.A. Here's the thing. you got to give credit to L.A. Here's one thing. In New York last week at MetLife Stadium, they were losing at halftime, and they fought back to get back into the game. L.A. fought hard, and you got to respect that. This is a team that isn't going to lay over and die. The L.A. Wildcats are 1-3. They have a tough game this week, but they're currently the number three seed in the West. They have an opportunity. Dallas lost their starting quarterback for the next couple weeks. Dallas is 2-2. Two two. They're one game ahead currently of the L.A. Wildcats. L.A. could still make the playoffs. They just need to finally make a change. They need to quickly change things around, start winning games. But the number two spot in the West to make the playoffs is available in the XFL. And L.A. is certainly not out of the race at all to get that spot. So keep your eyes on L.A. Winston Moss, their head coach, believes they turned a corner. They did tremendously improve in the second half of that game compared to the first half. Josh Johnson wants to win. And so... I would just keep your eyes on the L.A. Wildcats. I know everyone's like, Zach, shut up. You've been saying for weeks they're not a terrible football team. Have patience. I'm very curious to see what becomes of the L.A. Wildcats team. I'm not ready to say that they're terrible and give up on them just yet. I love their head coach. I got a, I just. I was around the man. I got a good sense of him. He's very passionate. He cares about his players. He cares about winning. Um, and I, I just, I really believe in L.A. I, I just, I don't know why yet. I don't know how to put it, but I think L.A. has something. And I'm not ready to give up on them just yet. Guys, that's all I have this week. Uh, I'm so excited to watch week five of the XFL season. This, you know, the, the week five podcast about the XFL week uh, will go a lot. Fa- it will come a lot sooner. Hopefully, I'll, I, my plan is to record it Sunday night or Monday. Uh, it's, you know, I'm going to sleep. A, after I record this and put this out, I'm going to sleep a little bit. And then uh, wake up at 11 and watch the the, the, ne- the newest game. Um, but 
I want to end the show with this. It's the way I end every single one of my podcasts. If you're struggling, please get help. Nearly four years ago, I guess now more than four years ago, uh, February 8, 2016, my younger brother took his life. Uh, it's terrible. It's painful. Suicide's a horrible thing. And I learned two really painful lessons from that experience. Number one, uh, if you're struggling, go get help. My brother never shared his struggles with anybody. Uh, I came home one day and he was dead on the floor. And that's terrible and miserable. I hate that. And I don't want that for anybody else. And so I encourage you, if you're having a hard time, please do not suffer in silence the way my brother did. Go get help. Go talk to a counselor, a teacher, a friend, somebody. Talk to people about your struggles. Don't keep them internalized. Go get help if you're struggling. And if you have nobody else to talk to, the last resort you can do, call the suicide hotline. The suicide hotline is one 800 273-8255, the suicide hotline. If you have nobody else to talk to, call the suicide hotline. It's 1-800-273-1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255 is the suicide hotline. The second painful lesson I learned from my brother's death is I did not make it clear enough to him that he could talk to me. You know, his, my little brother's name was Zane. We worked together at a car wash. We played high school football together. We played Halo together at least once a week. And, we're, and that means I literally drove to his house with my Xbox, sat on the couch next to him. We were playing co-op through Halo 2 at the time when he died. And all of our conversations were about sports and video games and movies and girls. Very surface level, very mundane. We never got to that next level of conversation. So I encourage you, don't be like me. Don't be afraid to have conversations with a little bit more depth. Conversations about real things that actually matter and impact the world. Um, just make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Give people hugs. Tell them you care about them. Make sure the people in your life know that if they're having a hard time, they can come talk to you. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I, you know what I'm going to do today at the end of the show? I saw a movie um, earlier tonight called The Way Back. It's, about, it's got Ben Affleck in it. Uh, it's the movie is about a basketball coach. It's really not a basketball movie. It's a movie about alcoholism and about um, the effects it has on people and the struggle of that. And uh, you know, for for this coach, um, when he had tremendous grief and loss for a long time, alcohol was the thing that got him through his pain. And I will tell you straight up, I I I I, I can relate to that. I had a moment like that too when I when my brother died was um I struggled with alcohol briefly. Uh for a couple months I just was constantly drinking and doing I just, you know, doing that a lot. And this movie really hit home for me because a little bit after my brother died, uh I started doing a podcast. <laughs> and for this coach in the movie, basketball becomes the thing he pours his heart and soul into that helps him get through his grief. And, I, you know, now I, I've done a lot more than just make the show. But for me, Strong Opinion Sports was the thing that got me through a hard time in my life. And so um, if you ever want to go watch a good movie, it's real. It's honest. It's not really a basketball movie. It's got basketball in it. But it's really just a movie about alcoholism and a, a good message about alcoholism. Um, and so if you want to go see that, it's called The Way Back. It's got Ben Affleck. He plays an alcoholic basketball coach. I loved it. It's a great movie. And if anybody wants to see it, I encourage you to do. It's sad. It's dark. It's honest. It's real. It's really how people are. It's really how alcoholism is. And I encourage you, if you want to have any, if you have any inkling to go see it, you should go see it. It's a good movie. Because my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you 
so very much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.